I think one of the most important criteria for any player to reach their potential is to really understand and have an accurate self-awareness and self-assessment. I think I've always fully understood my weaknesses, my strengths, what I need to do to get better. Um, You know, I don't lie to myself and I don't think I'm better than I am, right? And I think that that's allowed me to continue to improve and to continue to get better. Welcome back to What's Next with Eric Wood. Our next guest is Jason Kelsey. Jason is the five-time Pro Bowl and four-time All-Pro Center for the Philadelphia Eagles. He's a guy I loved watching when I was playing in the league and still do to this day. He also gave one of the best Super Bowl parade speeches of all time, which you can go check out on YouTube. Off the field, he was the Walter Payton Man of the Year nominee for the Eagles last year, given to the player in each organization that exemplifies on- and off-field excellence. This is going to be a good one, folks. If you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you tune in weekly. Thanks and enjoy. If you've been a loyal listener to this podcast, you're going to love my new book, Tackle What's Next. It's fueled by many lessons learned from these excellent podcast guests and interviews that I've done. It is out now on presale on Amazon, and the link to purchase that is in the show notes. Please go out and purchase that. It would mean the world to me. Kels, welcome to the podcast, brother. Well, thanks for having me, brother. Can't wait. Yep, and I always love having centers on here. There's just a natural connection. I don't know if it's the personality traits that it requires to play the center position combined with the fact that most offensive line are cut from the same cloth, but you haven't always been a center, and your career journey is just fascinating to me. Tell the listeners about at what point did you switch to the center position? Yeah, I switched uh, right after my redshirt freshman year in that spring. Um, I was recruited as a walk-on coming out of college. I was a linebacker and a running back. And um, were you six three at the time? I was six three. Well, six two and five eighths. I found out at the combine. But yeah, right. six. Uh, and um, about two hundred and I don't know twenty five, two hundred thirty pounds. Wow. And uh, Mark D'Antonio was a head coach of Cincinnati, and he was the one who recruited me. Um, and uh, that first year. I did all scout team that year, linebacker, and um, thought I was doing pretty good. <laughs> and then the uh, he, he up and left and went to Michigan State, and then came Brian Kelly. And along with Brian Kelly came a little bit different offense. Before that, with Mark, we ran a much more pro style, like kind of, uh, you know, big hog mollies up front, running power and duo. And, uh, you know, it wasn't um, – you know, the spread fast pace thing that Brian brought and he wanted a lot more zone read, uh, outside zone concepts, shotgun formations, and, um, you know, truly a spread offense. So they wanted more athletic, quicker offense alignment. And there was a guy on his staff at the time, the strength coach, Paul Longo, who really had done this with a number of guys before when he was at Iowa and with Brian at Central Michigan, he actually did the same thing with Joe Staley, who started off as a tight end there. And Paul told me like right away in off season, I should have read the right on the wall. He's like, you know, Kels, you'd make it, you'd make a really good center. And I'm like, man, what are you talking about? Like, I, it was just really in passing. And then sure enough, about three or four days into uh, spring ball, um, coincidentally, when it was only, like, it was still helmets. 
So it's all passing game. And I was a downhill linebacker. If there's ever been one, that's all I was really good at. And they, uh, they told me, Hey, we're going to try out at uh, center for the rest of spring. And um, yeah, the rest is history. I mean, I played guard the first couple years that I started. Uh, we had another center who's a little bit older than me who, uh, you know, our best five was just me at guard. And then I played center my senior year. And, um, yeah, so I put about 20 pounds on every year. So that first year I started like 260. Wow. Uh, then I went up to 280. Then my last year at guard, I was actually 300, 305. Might be the heaviest I've ever been, really. And then um, my last year, I went back down to about 285, 280. So, and I've been right about 290 for most of my career. Yeah, that's that's wild to me. There's something about playing guard that makes you feel like you need to be bigger than you are as a center. I know my rookie year, I played about 315, broke my leg in half, never got to be 315 pounds again, but always tried to get to that 305, 310 range again. But it was always a struggle trying to keep the weight on throughout the league. My junior high school, I was 6'4", 205 pounds. So I did it a little bit earlier than you, but I rushed <laughs> to put the weight on to transition to offensive line. At some point in most offensive linemen's life, you get told, hey, you're not going to have the ball in your hands anymore, except for the center. You start with it every play, most important position in football. But that being said, <laughs> that being said, is it easy for you to keep the weight on now? Or is it still a struggle? It's gotten way easier. And I don't know if that's good for post-career. I don't know what's going to happen. But, um, yeah, the uh, when I was, you know, throughout college and throughout um, the first part of my career, really up until about 30 years old, I had to eat a lot and really push to keep my weight on, especially throughout the season, right? Like the off-season, it's really easy to maintain, like a regimented diet. And, and then once you're in the middle of the season and you're really – you're worn out, you're, you're done, you're, you're, you're tired, and then you're trying to – make sure you're consuming all the calories and um, you're trying to maintain your strength. Uh, that was, that was difficult to do. So I would always start my off season. I would tell myself, I want to start at 295, knowing I was going to slowly work down throughout the season. Right. Uh, I, I knew that if I would have started at 280 or 285, I'd be 270 in the middle of the season. That wouldn't go well. So I needed to start high and let that come down. Now it's, pretty easy to stay about 295 300 what's the lightest you played in the game for the eagles man with chip kelly i played a couple games for sure in the 270s wow because it was a different offense and it um you know so fast paced and our practices were no like it was all running and um i for sure i think when i got on the scale i was 280 because right. i wouldn't i didn't want to psychologically know that i was under 280 but if 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 I would have gotten completely naked uh, without eating breakfast and everything like that, I'm, I would have been for sure in the 270s. Yeah, with the Bills, we always weighed in on Fridays. They set the scale right when you walk in the door. So unless you eat breakfast at home, you were weighing in first thing in the morning. Well, I would chug water on Friday morning. Thursday night, me and my wife would make date night just so we knew <laughs> we'd get a big meal in that night. And right. I'm the exact same way. Like I wanted to weigh 310 on Friday mornings or three oh somewhere between 305 and 310 but I probably yeah. played closer to 300. I just want to ask you, since he came up with Chip, Chip Kelly, it was fascinating to me, and I thought he brought a lot of good things to the table, you know, especially with the practice schedule during the week, you know, just mixing it up. Like, we don't have to wait on game film to be delivered anymore, so Tuesday doesn't have to be a day off like it did in the old days. So let's right. maybe mix some things up. But in your opinion, if given another shot, can Chip Kelly be a successful coach in the NFL? 
Oh, I, I completely think he can be. And I say that he wasn't a disaster. He just no. put the norm and he didn't have enough success that everyone just gets so uncomfortable when it's not done the same way. Yeah. When you're, when you're, you know, pushing the envelope and trying to be as cutting edge as he was, you have to be very successful. You can't just be kind of middle of the road, which ultimately ended up happening towards the end of his career in Philly and then in San Fran. Um, I think Chip, in a lot of ways, changed much of the NFL for the better. Uh, we still do a lot of the things and stole a lot of the things that Chip Kelly and, and other college coaches have done. Uh, you know, the RPO is like a standard thing now. And at that time, it really wasn't as popular. Chip was right. kind of new with that. Uh, you know, the zone reads have, you know, taken off. The no-huddle offense is – seems like every team now has at least a package of no-huddle plays going into a game. So there were – I mean – there were some unbelievably creative and, and good things that Chip did. And uh, in some ways he was a genius for kind of coming up with all that. Uh, and I think knowing and who he is and having learned from the things that haven't gone right, um, I think Chip would do a phenomenal job. And he gets a bad rap for kind of, um, you know, kind of, yeah, what's the word I'm looking for? Lacking a little bit of, um, the connection with the players because it ended bad in Philly. And, it, and right. I don't know how it ended in San Fran, but um, I think a lot of that comes down to like the structure of communication. Um, you know, I think, I think he's probably learned a lot and I still have a ton of respect for him as a coach and as a, um, you know, innovator. And I think, um, I think you do a great job. I really do. Yeah, and, and I hope he gets another shot. He's a guy that I've connected with over the years. We have the same agent, so I've seen him a lot of places. We see eye to eye on a number of things when it comes to just pushing the needle, try some things outside the box. Um, I appreciate some of his new school um, approach to training and practice schedule, and he's not the coach that makes fun of you for using a foam roller pregame telling you you're soft. You know, He's the guy that's looking at exhausting any possible option to get the most out of his players, most out of his team. So I always appreciate that about him. A hundred percent. And everything you do, there's going to be a why behind it. He's going to communicate it to you. Um, I feel like I grew a lot as a player and, um, uh, and as a, uh, 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 in my preparation for the game, uh, both mentally as a player, physically as a player, and then, nutritionally as a player, right? I made more progress in all of those facets with Chip Kelly than I probably made with any other coach. Um, you know, I think, uh, yeah, I really do think the world of Chip. And I know, you know, it didn't end well for him in Philly. And But I think he would do a great job if he got another opportunity in the league. And it seems like he's turning things around at UCLA right now, too. They yeah, that's, yeah, that's what it seems like. And this kind of leads me into what I was going to ask you next anyways. So you've started a hundred or you've played in 122 straight games for the Eagles, which is wild. And this isn't, yeah, this is, you know, okay. so besides luck, what, what do you think contributes to that? And I say that um, I don't expect you to give the answer Joe Thomas gave on the podcast when he said that he got this bone density study done and he actually has like this freakishly high bone density that really doesn't allow him to break bones which is wild <laughs> we made jokes about him being from wisconsin and all that but yeah what what would you credit besides luck because there's a certain element of luck in that besides luck of not at the wrong time getting your legs falling on what would you consider that um 
to come from from that streak? Um, well, I think a lot of it is luck, and I'm, I know we're not counting that. Um, uh, I think that there's a there's a number of reasons. Probably, I think we've been predominantly a zone team, and I think zone plays just in general, and when everybody's moving on the same path, there's less likely chances that people are going to get torqued and thrown down on your legs. Because let's face it, the, and I mean you know this full well, like the the vast majority of these big time injuries are when you're engaged and somebody kind of just piles down into your leg. Right. Right. And that mostly happens in, you know, gap scheme, uh, powers, you know, pin and pull, well, not even pin and pull more just your straight gap schemes. You know what I mean? Um, I don't, I think that that is probably a big part of it. Um, another part is I think I just being undersized, I have to, keep my feet moving. Like I'm, there's not really a lot of times where I'm just standing there right. and engaged. And um, so I think both of those two things compile and, and I've been lucky. Now I've also, I mean, I blew my knee out against uh, Ed, uh, the uh, Baltimore Ravens. Ed Reed tried to tackle the Sean McCoy, both of our former teammate. And um, he, uh, he shady was shady made a miss. And I was out in the open, like running, and it just was at the right time. So, like, you know, the game is a lot of it comes down to luck, as you know. But I think those two things would probably be the biggest uh, factors outside of that. Yeah. Keeping my feet moving. And then also you just see less of it in zone scheme systems, I feel like. Yeah. What what was the closest game you were to missing during that streak? Cause I know there was times you were playing through some pretty serious stuff. Yeah. Um, all right. Let me try and remember. Um, so I've missed some time. I've, I haven't missed too many starts. Right. Uh, there was a close one in Detroit in 2000 and uh, maybe 15 where I had a ruptured bursa sack and which doesn't sound like much, but Fair for some right. reason, it was like right on my nerve. So I couldn't bend down and get into a stance without like shooting pain and my quad would shut down. So, uh, you know, we worked on some things and I just asked the guys, I was like, Hey, is there any way we can, you know, find a way to get this thing right and um, work some pregame magic. And all of a sudden I went out there for them. I was like, all right, I'm ready to go now, but had to practice all week. I didn't think it was going to happen. And I went out there for them. felt brand new and, uh, we still lost, but I, I played the game. Yeah. And then, I was, um, I was going into your, I was going into the 2016 season and didn't feel great. My right knee was giving me some problems through training camp. So they went to put a PRP shot in there the day after our last preseason game thinking, Hey, we got 10 days off before the opener. Maybe yeah. 11. Okay. We'll do a PRP injection. That'll, That'll make everything feel good. Well, the doctor popped my bursa sack with the PRP oh. injection, injection. So for the first five weeks of the season, I'm getting my knee drained the day before the day of the game or the day of the game, oh just so gosh. I can get my quad firing again. Yeah. And so I can I can relate to the bursa sack deal. Now it wasn't on the nerve. So when I got into a stance, it just felt like extreme tightness. Like it just felt like my knee, like the skin over the top of my kneecap was going to explode because there was way too much fluid in there. But <laughs> <That's> it. <laughs> it, was, it wasn't on the nerve. So it wasn't yeah. technically that bad. Yeah. And, and um, I guess some other ones I've, I've had some, you know, little like grade one, like MCLs and things like that. I had a, a grade 
two technically, but it was like a really maybe a little bit less like ankle sprain. Um, so there, there's always something, you know what I mean? And, uh, but nothing really major that I can really pinpoint right now. This isn't going to come natural for you because I know you're not looking to come on here and brag on yourself much, but you enter college as a walk-on, you enter the league as a six-round pick, and now you're likely a Hall of Famer. And so you mentioned earlier your preparation, your nutrition. So I know you're a type of guy that does all the little things, but if you had to talk about just just one thing, and this is mainly to give advice out there and not sit here and brag brag on yourself, but if if you could think of one, maybe two things that allowed you to have that type of career trajectory of success what would you credit it to well that's tough um i think uh i think one of the most important criteria for any player uh to reach their potential is to really understand and have an accurate self awareness and self-assessment. I think I've always fully understood my weaknesses, my strengths, what I need to do to get better. Um, You know, I don't lie to myself and I don't think I'm better than I am. Right. And I think that that's allowed me to continue to improve and to continue to get better. Um, I think that that mindset, uh, you know, I I said this too before where I think, um, to be really good in the NFL, you need to kind of be, I don't want to say insecure, but you, you got to believe that you're not good enough. Right. But also believe that you're good enough to get there. You know what I mean? And 100%. it's this interesting dynamic of, if you think you're too good, you're not going to be improving or getting any better. And if you think you can't get there, or you're not going to achieve that, then you're never going to make it happen. So you have to be in this like middle realm of like knowing what you need to get better at and where you're weak at and what you're good at and how to maximize that or get better at your um, deficiencies. And um, I think that's the biggest thing that I've seen with most players that reach potential or guys that fall short of it. Um, And then too, I mean, you know, I don't, yeah, I'm not trying to brag on myself. I, you know, I, um, you know, what's another piece of advice would just, um, yes. Uh, and it kind of goes on to my last thing, but the, one of the biggest things that I got when I was a young, uh, high school kid from my grandfather was just was like quote from Calvin Coolidge on persistence. And it kind of, you know, for whatever reason at the right time, hit me square in the face and, it was a, a realization that, you know, just because you're not where you're at today doesn't mean you can't be where you want to be at tomorrow. And really the mark of uh, what we all end up becoming is going to be, it's a marathon, right? It's not a, a sprint, like your life's work or what your career or who you are is an ongoing process that's not really stopping. And these guys that are persistent, um, you know, that's how, you know, greatness is achieved. That's how success is revealed. Um, you know, you just keep going just each and every day, trying to improve, trying to get better, um, trying to get smarter, you know, you know, it's, it's just kind of something that I've taken on and I think is 
you know, a big separator of, you know, because I play with high school guys that I think were way more athletic than me. Me too. You know, I play with college guys that I th- I'm like, man, I can't believe that guy didn't make it. And, um, and part of it is, you know, stupid mistakes, unfortunate injuries that, that, that derail uh, careers or futures. But a lot of it is also just, you know, not having the fortitude to continue to work and continue to, uh, you know, uh, try to, you know, make it. And um, so, yeah, I guess Man. that's a long window way of that. No, that that was absolutely perfect. And for those that tune in each and every week for the personal development lessons, and they they were a little tuned out by maybe two uh, football guys talking some ball to start. What you just said, and I don't prep the guests with to- topics because I want this to be more organic and conversational. Yeah. But what you just said, you need to package into a, to, to talks when you're done playing. And yeah. it's the combination of humility and confidence. And that's no matter what line of work you're in, that's, that's being a dad and a husband. That's being anything in life is a combination of humility, knowing that there's areas I can improve, but the confidence to say, look, I'm, I'm still the best man for the job. I'm still the best man to show up here today. And, and it takes a certain uh, uh, self-awareness. And in football, we're given that self-awareness daily and people help us with that self-awareness. It becomes dangerous when you're not in pro sports where every step you take on a football field isn't analyzed. Every rep you take sure. isn't analyzed. And then I love your second part because I often say that people will overestimate what they can do in a, in a day or a week improvement wise, but way underestimate what they can do in years. Yeah. Yeah. If you took those first reps you had as a guard at the university of Cincinnati (laughs) and compare that to where you're at finishing year 11 in the NFL, there's going to be a huge difference. But if you would have sat there early on in your career at Cincinnati, sitting there as a guard and say, well, that, that just seems so unattainable. Well, you take that advice from your grandpa and you just continue to get better and then you grab opportunities. There's some luck along the way. And, 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 and I say luck, you prepared yourself to, to run with those opportunities. But man, that was, that was a lot of gold. And I, and I loved exactly where you went with that. That was, that was awesome. And, and you're going to package, you need to package that and talk to rookies. And I know, and I know you've been doing, um, I've read about how much you've enjoyed mentoring. And towards the end of my career, that's one of the things that filled my cup up was no longer hazing the rookies. It was becoming buddies <laughs> with the rookies and seeing who I could take, like a Deion Dawkins, a left tackle for the Bills. I mean, I still call him my yeah. little brother, but having a guy like that, that still when I go to practice, he comes up and bear hugs me and talks about the impact that I had on his career. You kind of shift that mindset at some point. Is, is, that, is that mentoring, like where you're at now in your career, is that part of the reason you decided to come back for your 12th season? I don't, you know, I don't know. I, I, I don't think so because I think, you know, I, you know, I think I still want to play football. That's why I came back for my 12th year, but I certainly love mentoring and trying to help out young players. Um, and I just, you know, I, it's, you know, mentoring is like a, it's a weird word for like a teammate because like, I'm not, I'm older than a lot of these guys, right? And I've played a lot more football. Like our, we just drafted a rookie center this year, who I think the world of man, I think he's going to be a great player. Um, and like, it's, I am a, I am mentoring him, right? I'm trying to help him become better and everything, but I'm still his teammate. Like, I'm not in a role of like, um, 
uh, like an authoritative figure. You know what I mean? Right. Absolutely. And like at the end of the day, as teammates, our jobs are to make each other better. And so in some ways, I feel like my job hasn't changed. I think what's changed is the dynamic of the amount of credibility and uh, leadership that I'm like given like right away. Right. Like, it's like almost like, you know, I mean, I had to work when I was young in my career to get that level of um, credibility. And, and now it's, you know, I still got to work. Otherwise it'll fall away. But um, you know, these guys already like are asking questions, like the moment they get through the door and, and really open to just trying to like take in as much from me as they can. Um, so I think, you know, I, I've always tried to help guys out, but the dynamic is definitely different now being later in my career. And I have more of an opportunity uh, to do that. And one of the reasons I think it's like you later in your career and for me later in my career, it's important is this is the only way we can leave on our legacy, right? Like right. at the end of the day, you're going to have the outstanding tape, but when you play with the Buffalo Bills, I'll have my tape, but that's going to be in the past, right? And how you uh, influenced and, you know, passed on your game and your knowledge and uh, everything to Dan Dawkins. That's what, like, that's what I want to do with my guys. And I can know that, man, you know, I had an impact in that kid. Like, that's how I lived on in this career. And then hopefully you know, I impacted him. He can impact the next guy. And it just kind of goes on into perpetuity. And um, that's what it's about, man. Yeah. Absolutely. That makes a ton of sense. Earlier in your career, was there an offensive line with the Eagles or uh, another center around the league that you looked up to or, or studied to kind of help you on your journey? There were So two centers that I looked at a lot, obviously Jeff Saturday was one of the premier guys and a similar size as me. Yep. And I got the fortune of talking to him because my offensive line coach, when I first got to Philly, Howard Mudd had coached him for a long time. So I was able to, go to his house and kind of pick his brain a little bit. Um, Pounzi, Marquise Pounzi was really young and had had an unbelievable start to his career. Yep. So I watched a lot of his tape. Um, Olin Krutz. Um, I loved watching Olin Krutz. Tape. I know, man. He's he's a very, I mean, to people that watched him and really know him, and he was a violent, physical, I mean, he was undersized, but, you know, he just played the game so vicious, and I loved watching him play. Um, and then um, uh, a little bit of Dominique Raiola too. I, I watched a lot of the undersized guys because I knew that's where I was going to get most of my tricks and kind of techniques from. Um, and then uh, with the Eagles specifically, uh, we had a couple older guys that took to me. Right? Evan Mathis was kind of a career journeyman, had been a lot of places, and we both are coming to Philly at the same time. So we kind of hitched up really quickly. Uh, Todd Harriman's who had been with Philly for a long time, was a great mentor for me early in my career, both on and off the field. He was just a great guy, a great teammate. Um, Jamal Jackson was an incumbent center who uh, worked with me my uh, whole rookie year. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I had great, uh, you know, mentors and leaders and then guys that I kind of really looked to to emulate my game after. Yeah, that's one of the most impressive answers with the amount of people that you're willing to give credit to that you looked up to study. And that's that's a big reason why you're sitting exactly where you are right now. 
Evan Mathis was likely the most jacked offensive lineman, like physically <laughs> in the best shape. Now that he's done playing, he's got to be in incredible shape. I haven't seen a picture of him. He's just got to be ripped. He is. And he was, I, I, he was at my bachelor party about five years ago and was jacked. And then I saw him recently last year with his, uh, his new wife and um, they, he was skinny, man. He lost some weight, but he's still like, you know, he's never not going to be jacked. But uh, he he had lost some weight. So, but he's yeah, he's one of those guys that I don't think you'll ever see him not cut up or shredded. Yeah, yeah. Who's the toughest type of defensive tackle for you to go against? <sighs> Man, guys that have power and speed. Yeah. Um, you know, outside of that, um, you know. Every, you know, D-line and kind of defensive, like, technique has, like, things that you can take advantage of. Uh, you know, when there's a, a big guy who's athletic over top of me, that's a that's a tough matchup for me, right? Uh, but even big guys, I can get up underneath. Right. And use leverage. Um, so, really, probably the guys that I've struggled with the most, ironically, are guys that are shorter than me and heavier than me because it's like man i can't get leverage on this guy he's got longer arms than me um and he's heavier than me i'm like man i'm these are three things that i can't fall back on any of them so um yeah those are for some reason those squattier d tackles that are he still heavy with long arms are just hard guys to move and they're hard guys to get leverage on oh. so I've, I've struggled with a few guys like that yeah, I'm the exact same way. I remember when I first got to the Bills, we had Kyle Williams on one side and Marcus Stroud on the other. And everyone yeah. looked at Marcus Stroud at six foot seven, 350 pounds. He could run, he could jump. He's strong, he's athletic. But then Kyle on the other side was just a little bit shorter than me. He's mean as a bulldog. He's quick, he's smart. And yeah. I couldn't get under him to move him. He's stronger than I am. And that dude was a nightmare to go against compared to Stroud. And the eyeball test would have never given you that answer. Well, yeah, the eyeball test wouldn't, but the game film test does. Kyle was one of the best defensive tackles in the league for a long time. I mean, he was one of those – him and Gino and trying to think of those other guys that were kind of a little bit shorter. That man, It was like trying to move a boulder, and then they were they, they were smart and, and, and savvy and pass pro as well. When I look at, like, uh, Reader nowadays, he looks yeah. like he'd be a monster to go against. Damon Harrison for – you know, he was playing for the Jets. We were always going against him, and he was like yep. – Six two ish, about three hundred fifty pounds. Long arms, long arms and heavy. Yeah, I played a lot against him, and when he went to the Giants after the Jets, and uh, when he was uh, at his best, he was probably the best between him and Limbaugh, which is a completely different style than what we're talking about. But those two guys are two of the best run blocking, uh, run defenders I've played against because they're smart and just you know they they had a lot of tools as well. Yeah, so. I got this podcast about you, but I want to ask one question about you and your brother. So your brother is one of the greatest tight ends in NFL history. I already mentioned, I, I think you'll be a hall of famer one day. So when you look at that, you got two hall of fame brothers. You guys don't look that much alike. <laughs> he's, he's a, you know, a tight end. You're a center. Yeah. Talk about, and, and you can look on Instagram or social media to find the differences in personalities, well, what, are, sure. what, are, what are the similarities between the two of you guys? Oh, man. Um, I think, um, yeah, this is a good question. 
because I do think we're more similar than people realize. I think we're, we're very drastically different in our, you know, materialistic or, um, uh, I don't know, outward expressions, right? But I so think... You're, you're not um, going to get a reality dating show anytime soon? I don't think so, yeah. no. And, Wife wouldn't and, approve of that? I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm probably listening to a little bit more Willie Nelson and my brother's probably listening to something else. But I, I think, you know, we are, are very similar in our values and, and what we... Um, uh, you know, think is right and wrong. I think, um, I think my brother and I both really have, um, are, are empathetic people. And I think we, we, we are good members of a team and we operate in a similar manner, even though it might not come across the same way. I think we both try to, uh, you know, serve our teammates and, and, and make those around us, um, better. And, um, I think that that transitions off the field as well. I think it's just kind of, you know, who our parents were, um, you know, and, and how, how we were raised, um, you know, might kind of look different, but I think at the end of the day, we both, you know, share the same set of values and same set of, um, you know, core beliefs about humanity. And even though we've never really expressed them, I just think it kind of comes natural to, to both of us the same way. Yeah, that's really cool. And, and that doesn't surprise me to hear you say that. And, you know, he's he's so loved in Kansas City. You're so loved in Philadelphia. There's there's extremely positive, similar qualities. Um, and, and I like how you express that. All right. We got a few recurring questions and we'll get you out of here. Do you have right. a favorite book? Well. Man, um, I try to read some read a lot of books and I don't read as many as I should. Uh, I will say growing up, I was a big Harry Potter fan and I've read all of them. I always loved Harry Potter. Um, but I probably would say old man in the sea is probably my favorite. Um, you know, just, I mean, we talked about perseverance in that tale of like trying to fight that Marlin for days on end and a little rickety boat, um, is something that just kind of you can almost feel it while you're reading it, what he's going through. And um, I've always loved that book. Are you a man of faith? I am a man of faith, but not a man of religion. Um, Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I, I, you know, I'm not you know, trying to, you know, uh, push any type of uh, whatever, but um, no, I, uh, I, I love talking to guys that have faith, guys that are extremely religious, guys that have, uh, you know, whatever that comes in, uh, those are discussions that I've really enjoyed, whether it's, you know, guys like Carson Wentz, who's uh, ex extremely religious, Stefan Wisniewski, um, uh, my, my, my line mate, Isaac Sayamalu. Um, I really do enjoy talking about what, what faith um, in a high, upper, on a higher being uh, what faith in yourself, um, what service and um, humility brings to people. Uh, these are things that I think are uh, extremely important tenets that seem to be, you know, falling by the wayside more and more. But um, I love having those conversations. What was your first car? 
first car I bought or first car that I drove? Both. First car I drove was a maroon Dodge Caravan. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Um, or actually it was a green Dodge Caravan minivan. And then the power steering went off on that. I had to go to the, I had to go to the maroon, uh, because it, it, it shot its, uh, its load. It was done. And then, um, first car I bought was a Ford F-150. Nice. What's your favorite restaurant? Um, if we're going like a national chain, God, uh, that's tough. Uh, it doesn't have to be. It could be Philly. Well, Cleveland. Hey, um, yeah, let me, um, favorite restaurant. Um, I'm a diner guy. I like any type of diner. Um, so I'm kind of inclined to say that. Okay, I'll go this. I'll go this way. Any kind of diner. There's one in particular in Havertown, Havertown Grill that uh, that I like a lot, which is where I live in Philly. Uh, there's one back home in Cleveland, Irv's, which is like a little hole in the wall that we used to go to, and I still love going there. Um, and then uh, if we're going national chain diner, it's hard to beat a Waffle House in my opinion. But um, and then my, our favorite spot to go in the city of Philadelphia is Tulum's Garden, which is a I don't even know how you would describe it, but it's a, it's a nice restaurant that my wife and I love going to. Good deal. What's the best cheesesteak in Philly? Uh, I'm partial to Tony Luke's. Um, my wife, who is a, she would call herself a true uh, Philadelphian. She likes uh, Delisandro's. Um, but to be honest, I can't say it. I love Penn Station in Cincinnati. <laughs> Those cheesesteaks are so good. Their fries are killer too. Yeah. <laughs> now I, I will admit that there was more than one time that I had cheesesteaks in Philadelphia. Generally, we try to save them for after the game, but we played in the preseason there one time and I ate one, I think the day of the game, which was like the world's worst decision. Did you ever, <laughs> do you ever eat uh, chicken wings of Buffalo when you're playing there? You know what? I haven't. And we have a, uh, we got a, um, a young player right now. He was just uh, over my house at, young guard that played at Buffalo Coyote, Abosika. And um, he was just telling me about how good the wings are in Buffalo and how nobody else is even close. So that's one thing that that's a bug of the side for me. I still have not had Buffalo's Buffalo wings. All right. Well, we're going to, we're going to change that at some point. All right. <laughs> yeah. All right. Last one for me. This is what's next with Eric Wood. What's next for Jason Kelsey. What's coming down the line for you. What do you guys got planned this summer pre-training camp? Man. Um, you know, obviously, I'm going to be preparing for the season like like always. Um, but I got a few things on my plate right now. I'm uh, starting a foundation that's close to up and running. Uh, and that's been a long process over a year now that we've been working on that. Um, you know, I'm, I've been getting more and more active in real estate and investing in real estate. Um, and then... Um, you know, my, my daughter's about to start ice skating lessons. So that's the other thing. <laughs> I can't wait to see her out there on the ice. That's awesome. That's great. Well, enjoy all those things. And, and brother, I can't thank you enough for your time. You're someone, honestly, you came in the league just after me and someone I looked up to. I, I loved watching you play. As the Bills got more new age in our offense, you became a center that I constantly was looking at, especially the way you pulled, the way you 
moved off uh, off the line on the zone schemes. Someone I loved studying. So, brother, I can't thank you enough for your time. Have an incredible season. There's no way we jinxed the, the uh, consecutive game streak. Today. <laughs> yeah. I'll be following along closely this year, and let's do it again next year. Hey, absolutely. Anytime, Wood. Uh, you know, I just want to say before I head off that, you know, you're still one of the guys that I say is one of the best centers I've ever watched. And you, know, you had a lot of injuries and things go wrong. But, um, man, you were such a great combination of athleticism, size, quickness, smarts. You were a blast to watch. So anytime you want me on, I'm here, brother. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks, brother. This episode has been brought to you by Jordan Yoakum at Tom James Company. Jordan is my clothing guy and I get everything from him from custom suits and dress clothes to casual wear. Let Jordan do the shopping for you to save you precious time that could be focused on your family, career, or hobbies. Jordan can work virtually with anyone in the world and if he cannot personally get your measurements himself, he will have someone come get them for him. If you have put on the quarantine 15 like many have and your clothes aren't fitting properly anymore, he can also make adjustments to the clothing you already have. There's a certain confidence that comes with having clothes that fit perfect and let Jordan give you that confidence. You can contact him by email at jordan.yokum at tomjames.com or visit his website louisvillecustomclothing.com. Contact info will be in the show notes.